What's up, Irish fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Slauncher Route. I'm your host, Jack Leniart. We got another great show for you today. Andrew Hall from Slap the Sign joins me to talk about the FSU game this past weekend, which Notre Dame won by a final score of 42 to 26. And then we break down Notre Dame's upcoming matchup against Louisville this Saturday. Before we get to that conversation, we have a quick word about Anchor. I'm now joined by Andrew Hall of Slap the Sign, a fellow Slap the Sign writer. Andrew, how are you doing today? Good, Jack. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Well, I guess the purpose of this conversation is to break down Notre Dame's 42-26 victory over FSU this past weekend. And then following that, we can give a little preview of um, – the Louisville game this upcoming weekend with a, a focus on what we want to see from the Irish. So I guess just to start, um, what was your general feeling coming out of the, the FSU game and what were some of your, your takeaways? So generally I really, it was about what I expected um, from the game, so to speak, but it was completely reversed on how I thought the the game would go. I thought, Notre Dame's offense would struggle. Um, Florida State, you know, had more talent on that uh, defensive side of the ball and, you know, just offensive football with all the mechanics that go into it and being off for a couple of weeks. I thought that, hey, that's that's going to be the side uh, that that struggles and that you would see the Notre Dame defense really excel. And it was completely different, um, which uh, truly surprised me. Um, because Notre Dame's offensive line came out and punched them right in the mouth. And uh, the defensive line and linebackers really struggled uh, for Notre Dame most of the game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, for, for me at least, it was confusing as to why it took so long for Mike Norvell to to make the switch to Jordan Travis, because, I mean, just based on what you've seen from the, the other two quarterbacks that have played for FSU so far, it, it seems like, Travis is, is clearly th- their best option and gives them the best chance to win, at least from what we saw this past weekend. Um, so I think that's, I mean, if, if you're an FSU fan, although if you are, I don't know why you listen to this podcast. <laughs> that's something they can hang their hat on. And like, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you can kind of tip your cap to, to a kid who has just had a really nice game um, and made it tough on the defense was super elusive in the pocket. Um, but I, I, I agree. I think, I don't think there were any really like extreme reactions to this game. Um, I mean, it was under the context of, all right, Notre Dame had significant time off due to a COVID outbreak on the team. And, you know, A, are they going to look a little rusty? There was only two players who were officially inactive for the game. Um, but still you had guys who were missing um, significant practice time. So, I mean, you, you, figured that you could see a slow start from them. Um, but even though they, they dug themselves a hole with those two early turnovers, this game really never felt like it was out of hand. Um, and I think that's just a, a credit to what the, the Notre Dame offense was showing us. Um, and this is something that, that I literally just saw before, before we started recording, but I, I, I pulled up the box score on ESPN and you know how it does like a little win probability graph. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so after after FSU scored their second touchdown to take the lead, so they're in the lead. They were leading seventeen to fourteen in the first quarter. 
Um, the win probability by for Notre Dame, um, well, I should say it, it started like damn near close to 100. But at that point, after that touchdown was scored, Notre Dame's win probability was still 86.9%. And I mean, really, like that kind of encapsulates the, the most of the game um, as far as, you know, fear that you're going to lose to a, a one and two Seminole squad. I mean, it really did feel like they were in control. Um, I guess we could let's yeah let's let's start on the offensive side of the ball because that's I think where they excelled um and really it seems like this team under new offensive coordinator Tommy Reese is starting to to form an identity in the run game and in the multiple tight end sense they that they use um what were some things that you liked from from the offense this past weekend um well certainly uh, you know I have I like that they are their run first um, and that they, you know, take shots kind of second. Um, the uh, the holes that they were opening up, I mean, I think I saw um, a few things on Twitter um, on uh, Tyree's touchdown. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have scored. I can tell you that. I probably would have gotten tackled after uh, 10 yards, but <laughs> I definitely could run through that that hole that they're opening up. And it was it was great to see. You know, even when Eichenberg went down with the, the eye injury, um, you know, a guy like Dylan Gibbons come in who has really just played, I believe, on special teams um, and uh, perform well and uh, banks to slide out to left tackle and perform well. Um, <clears throat> so I really like that. But I think the thing that I took away that I felt best about was that Ian Book looked sharp he looked like he had guys that he could trust and he was hitting some of the throws that he's been missing lately. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be the guy who is going to throw the, you know, 70 yard post route and hit it consistently. Um, but I think he's the guy that definitely can get the ball to playmakers and allow them to do what they need to do, which can be extremely effective um, against most opponents. And, I really think that he did a nice job doing that. And even, you know, throwing the ball down the field uh, to Javon McKinley, who out of nowhere was um, just destroying a, a possible f- future first round corner like it was nothing. Um, so I thought that was <laughs> kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very much in- impressed by, by Ian Book's play. Um, and I think really – this offense thrives when he's involved in, in the run game as he was. So he was, I mean, if you look at the box score, it wasn't anything crazy. He was 16 of 25 for like, like 200 yards. Um, and then he had the the two touchdowns. Um, but it just, I mean, he, he looked like he was on and for a guy who, I mean, really one of the, the main criticisms that he's, had lobbed on him the the past couple of seasons has been his his accuracy so for him to come out and have an efficient night that's that's really what this team needs to win um and on top of that it just seemed like he was just in command of the offense comfortable in the pocket um and like i mentioned like taking off and picking up some yards with his legs when he needed to uh super close to 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 adding a a rushing touchdown i think in the first quarter first or second. it was some sometime in the first half um and got stopped just short short of the goal line but yeah I was I was very much impressed by his play um 
so a theme of, of the last couple of podcasts that I recorded with, with Ben Belden um, was we were, we were talking about the wide receiver position and the lack of production that they've gotten from that unit thus far, I guess, before Florida State, because this past weekend we had Javon McKinley, who, who had over 100 yards receiving um, and had a, a, just a kind of a breakout performance for him. Hopefully that's something he could build on moving forward. Um, we saw Kevin Austin return to the lineup, even though he didn't record a catch. Uh, I guess what are you going to be looking for moving forward from that receiver group? Yeah, so ultimately, I mean, uh, I, as much as I liked McKinley's performance, I, I, you know, just based on past, you know, evidence, I just don't think that that is going to repeat itself. So I, I'm still looking for probably Kevin Austin to step forward um, into a larger role um, this weekend and going forward. And uh, then uh, hopefully um, Braden Lindsay, you know, performing well. Um, going forward, uh, he played, I believe, 60 snaps or something like that uh, this weekend. So it was, uh, you know, he was playing a lot when uh, others um, like uh, Kevin Austin and Ben Skoranek were not. Um, but yeah, I think I think ultimately the the answer may be to your question. It may be kind of a a, a, a curt answer to it, but I think the answer to the the wide receivers really is is that you know you need to find one or two guys, but the, and the answer isn't to try to get a bunch of wide receivers on the, on the field, because um, you have great running backs, you have great tight ends. And right now uh, I think that will help you uh, carry forward um, into the rest of the season. Now, when you get up against Clemson, um, you know, that's going to be a different story. You're going to need somebody to be able to take the top off the defense and be able to make plays and hopefully Kevin Austin becomes that guy um, by November 7th. Yeah, and I think when when you're a team like Notre Dame, who's running the ball so well uh, through three games this season, it's like inevitably you're going to face a defense that's going to throw some extra guys in the box and then leave your receivers in single coverage, and you need guys to just win one-on-one. Um and yeah, we didn't get to see a, a ton of Kevin Austin this this past weekend, but I mean, he he really needs to be that guy because I don't I don't I guess I mean kudos to Javon McKinley, but I guess until he proves that he can do this consistently, I'm not really trusting him all that much to be that type of player. Um, and I guess I should probably use that same logic when, when talking about Austin because he doesn't really do right. all that much on the field either. So yeah. Quick contradiction of myself. Love doing that. Um, but yeah, they, they need, they need guys to step up. Um, and I think that's going to be a key talking point because that's, I mean, really when you're looking at an offense that's played really well and run the ball so strongly, they need that, that extra dimension to them to, to really make them something lethal and something that could threaten a team like Clemson. Um, so sorry, do you have something to say? Yeah, no, I mean, I think definitely what you were saying about, you know, the, you know, teams are definitely going to start to pack the box against their Dame, and, um, you know, n- not obviously not not this week. I don't think there's a ton of um, defensive talent um, on Louisville's uh, uh, defense, but when they get to uh, Pittsburgh, which I believe is in two weeks, um, you know, it's a classic Pat Narduzzi defense. They're going to come up, play man to man on the outside and probably stack the box on the inside. 
And as of right now, I believe Pittsburgh's defense is in the top five um, of rushing defense. So it's definitely going to be a challenge. Hopefully they can, you know, go into this weekend and kind of develop Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay a little bit more, get some good chemistry going with Ian Book, um, because that'll really help them going forward. But you're exactly right. But and and, and to to your point about uh, you know our contradictions about Javon McKinley and uh, uh, Kevin Austin, it's 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 that uh, shiny new toy syndrome that I think I think we all get. So you know we know what's wrong with J- Javon McKinley. Um, we know what he can't do, um, but we haven't seen that uh, with Kevin Austin yet. Mm-hmm. Grass is always greener. Uh, yeah. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, where I think we'll, we'll probably both have a little bit more uh, critiques to add. Um, so I guess, as I alluded to earlier, some some context here uh, of the what was I think it was something around thirty six players that that missed some some practice time due to this recent outbreak, either uh, positive tests or through contact tracing. Uh, it seemed like and was re- reported on after this game that the majority of those plays were on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, I guess to start when, when you're going to first break down how Notre Dame performed on that side of the ball, it's, I guess it's a good place to start because you did see a couple of guys that they had to shuffle around. Um, most notably Sean Crawford, who moved into the starting cornerback spot because Nick McLeod, Cam Hart and Clarence Lewis all missed time uh, leading up to this game. Um, and then you also saw, uh so jack kaiser was one of the inactives and he's at the buck position so you saw more of guys like shane simon uh maris leofau and then uh myron tagovailo Amosa was inactive for the game as well and so in his place uh jason adam alola was starting and um we saw a couple extra guys like i know howard cross looked like he got a couple more snaps than he normally does um so I guess, where would you like to start on, on the defensive side of the ball, Andrew? You know, I, it really, you know, obviously it seemed to be primarily a, uh, a problem in the, in the front seven. Um, and, it, you know, it very well could be um, what everybody is kind of saying is that, hey, there was a lot of guys on that side of the ball that missed a significant time um, because it, it just, it felt different than a normal Clark Lee defense Um, with Clark Lee, you know, it usually seems like everybody is in the position that they need to be in. They hit their um, run fits and and that um, was not happening. We had a lot of guys, um, you know, just getting like over, overextended, over pursuing, you know, on a few of those uh, quarterback runs and and give credit to Florida state too. I mean, some of them were, were great calls. uh, Some of the counters that they used, uh, with uh, Jordan Travis involved, um, you know, really um, played on um, Notre Dame's kind of over pursuit and aggressiveness um, that I think you saw. Um, and and uh, yeah, so it's, it's just hopefully an issue that will clean itself up this week. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be um, a huge problem uh, if Notre Dame uh, can't hold teams under, uh, you know, 20 points going forward. Yeah. And you, you talked about the play of Jordan Travis. And I, as I mentioned before, he was just super slippery in the pocket and hurt them a, a ton with his legs. I think he was over a hundred yards rushing um, just by himself. Uh, and 
you look forward to this next weekend's matchup against a guy like Malik Cunningham, who has that same skill set, you know, and who is maybe, I think maybe a little bit of a better passer, um, but just as much of an athlete and, and can also hurt you with his legs. And some got something, you know, a player that you really have to know where he, I mean, that know where he is at all times, but just have, I mean, not probably more often than not commit a defender to either spy or just stay, um, closer to the line of scrimmage so that he can't, you know, take off and, and hurt you with his legs if you have everything well covered on the back end. Um, so I think in that respect, this game against Florida State probably helps Notre Dame a bit because they it is a, a similar-ish type of offense that you're going to yeah. face. You know, you have a dual-threat quarterback, um, you have a couple of speedy backs, and then you have, like, a, a legitimate number one wide receiver on the outside. Uh and Louisville is in that same mold, but just with, I think, a, a couple extra weapons on the offensive side and probably some that are a little bit better than what Florida State was showing. Um, there was, I mean, there there was a couple times where, uh, I mean, they it seemed like the Notre Dame defensive line and any additional rushers that were coming had Jordan Travis dead to rights. And those are plays that you just, you have to make if you're going to beat better teams that have those types of quarterbacks. You got to get them on the ground. You can't let them extend plays like that because that's where the big plays come from. And then when you're playing teams that you're clearly better, better than you can't allow those big plays. Cause that's how they beat you. Um, and then you talked about, uh, I guess the, the rest of the front seven, I thought it was probably the, the worst game that we saw from the linebacker group. Um, I mean, probably excluding JOK, but he's, you know, in, in a league of his own out there, him and him and Kyle Hammett's on the defensive side of the ball. But the other guys, I think Clark Lee is still trying to figure out um, who his best combination of two other linebackers are to put out there. Uh, he saw some good things from Bo Bauer, but he, I think, still at times needs, needs to learn how to play a little bit more under control. Um, Shane Simon also just – it seemed like him – because you know he's a, he's a good athlete uh, – but he seems to be hesitant at times out there. And you look at, at plays where Notre Dame, where FSU was, was gashing the Irish defense and he's getting reached by offensive linemen. And you're thinking to yourself, man, like you're good. Like you're athletic enough to just shoot a gap and make a play. You can't be overthinking it. You got to be more reactive to it. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And Mary Sleefow, I think probably gives them more at that buck position, but it's, it's not anything that's really, game changing. So I, I'm assuming, and we'll see based on how much time he gets in practice this week, but I'm, I'm assuming we're going to see a lot of Jack Kaiser against Louisville. Um, unless the staff just doesn't feel he's had enough, had ample enough time to, to give them, you know, say like 20, somewhere in the range of 20 to 30 snaps. Um, but he seems like their best long-term option at that position. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I would think that he is only going to get um, much better. I mean, you look at a guy who before that South Florida game, he was, you know, third on the depth chart, I believe that Thursday. So he was not um, in a position, um, you know, where he even was getting snaps to, to be prepared um, for the game on Saturday. Um, and then I've, uh, can't remember the order in which you know uh, Marist and uh, Shane uh, kind of had had gone down, but 
you know, he, there was a positive test, I believe on that Thursday and then on Saturday morning, which led to Jack Kaiser going right in there. And he made uh, plays that were so instinctual that that is, that's, that's not even uh, preparation. That's just natural talent that, that he has. And I think if he gets more time um, in practice and more experience, I, I think he really could become someone who's really um, a good compliment to Drew White at that um, buck position. One thing that I was uh, curious about, and now I get your take on it, um, was, you know, a lot of people uh, were very critical of, of Drew White, um, you know, for, for this game. And they kind of want to go in the direction of uh, Bo Bauer. Um, and I certainly don't agree with it, um, but I wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, I would I would go that so far as to to make that switch right now. I think just if you're looking at just you can look, I mean, and look back into the previous season and just see that Drew White has given you shown you more um, from his play at that position to to earn that starting spot. One thing and I, I meant to look this up before we started recording, probably should have done more prep, but it seemed like early on, at least in the first half. I kept looking at the defense and I'm just like, wait, where's Drew White? Where's Drew White? Um, and I, I wanted to find out what his final snap count was because it seems like he he got significantly less playing time than we're used to seeing from him. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, yeah, sorry, I cut out there for a second, but um, were you asking about what uh, Drew White's snap count was or? Yeah, I just it seemed like to me when I was watching, I, I just it seemed like he played yeah, a lot less. Yeah, I don't, than, I don't than know used to if, do we do we know? I mean, that, that's the whole that's a whole confusing thing about all of the you know COVID nineteen stuff is that um, you know we don't know who tested positive. Like sometimes, obviously, they'll put out you know who's unavailable for for games, but with the whole outbreak, you know, we don't can't pinpoint you know, the guys who were, so was Drew Wright, you know, one of those guys, um, you know, you definitely have to think that that's, that was a possibility. Um, and, and that, that could be the reason why, but, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't really, you know, a guy can have a bad game and, and still deserve to be a starter and uh, really hold down that defense, which is what he, he did all of last year. Um, once they uh, got it figured out uh, in the second half uh, against Louisville um, and uh, you know, they came through the, the whole season uh, playing extremely well with the, you know, with the exception of, of Michigan. So now I would, I would have a lot of faith in, in Drew White and I'm sure Clark Lee does. And that's probably pretty much aside from Brian Kelly, that's all that matters. Yeah, and especially, I mean, you talk about a guy like Clark Lee, who's just a lot more cerebral when it comes to these things, um, and in contrast to a fan who's just more knee-jerk and saying, like, all right, this guy didn't right. have a good game, get yeah. him out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, all right, so I guess before we put a bow on this, we could talk about the secondary. So I, I mentioned before that that Sean Crawford had to make the move to cornerback. Um, I mean, I thought he had a great game. Uh, he, before his eventual interception – in the second half, he was super close on, on picking off a couple of balls in the first half. Um, but obviously the play that people are going to point to is when he was beat on a double move for a touchdown. Um, any other takeaways for, from the secondary or, or anything you want to keep an eye on? Yeah, forward? obviously, you know, it's going to be, 
Canton, Notre Dame, uh, pulled down all of the cornerback positions. You know, I think Tariq Bracey actually played extremely well. Um, I think that was a little bit buried um, in Saturday's performance. Um, you know, when he was matched up, even against guys like Terry, I think he really held his own um, and performed extremely well. Um, so that's a good sign. So um, can Nick McLeod, you know, get back in there? I know there were some questions even aside from, um, you know, the recent outbreak um, of, you know, what is his health, you know, uh, with a, like a lower body injury that he may have or something that may be hampering him. And I think that's really critical um, going forward because, you know, I, I don't really have faith in a guy like Houston Griffith or DJ Brown um, on the back end right now. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's going to be critical going forward. Um, for Notre Dame's uh, defense to be optimized um, is, you know, Nick, Nick, Nick McLeod needs to be healthy or Clarence Lewis needs to step forward um, and take that starting position. Yeah, and I guess w- one more thing that I probably should mention before we move on to, to Louisville is that uh, Rover Paul Moala tore his Achilles during this game and is done for the season. Um which is, I mean, it hurts because, you know, you see a kid like him who's, he's, he's a local product. Um, and so you always like to see players, you know, who grew up in the area, you know, grew up as a Notre Dame fan, do well when they get, when they get there. Um, and he, I mean, he had a, a great start to his career there. And I have no doubt that when he returns next season and Jeremiah Wusukormo is in the NFL, that he's probably going to be starting at Rover for this defense next year. Um, all right. So moving on to Louisville, um, is there anything that you were going to be specifically looking for from Notre Dame on either side of the ball when they play Louisville? This yeah, Saturday? so so definitely, and we kind of touched on it earlier. It it's going to be, um, you know, how the defense plays against you know a scheme that does some similar things to what we saw last week. Um, you know, Louisville and Scott Satterfield have run that spread option um, that we saw that kind of gave them fits, you know, for a half uh, last year um, in the opener. And, and they're still, um, you know, obviously they're still running that. And, and they have some, um, dare I say, that they have more dangerous um, uh, athletes on the offensive side of the ball than Florida State does, which sounds insane to, to say. But, you know, with guys like Tutu Atwell, um uh, yeah, Fitzpatrick and Hall at the running back position to go along with Cunningham, like you said, at quarterback, you know, those, um, you know, that's really what I'm going to be looking at. Can Notre Dame play better or is it um, basically, was it, you know, a result of the layoff or um, is it something deeper than what, what we've seen before? Yeah, this is, and I think uh, Hawkins oh, okay. is, is the name that you're thinking of for, for running back. He's had a, a great start to the year, but this is, it's definitely a, a tricky spot for Notre Dame. I mean, again, it's a team that you should be, and now the line for that game I think is up to like 16 and a half or something like that. So you, you need to beat this team, um, but you're talking about a team with a ton of weapons on offense who's lost – uh, three games in a row. So they're, I mean, obviously getting a little bit desperate there. Um, probably going to come out and start fast, you know, and Scott Satterfield, he's a good coach. Like, I don't think 
this one bad start is is enough to kind of uh you know rip up his resume like he's a he's a solid coach he's going to have his team prepared i think really where they've been struggling the most is on the the defensive side of the ball so for me i just want to see more domination from this Notre Dame offense i mean you're going to face seven eight who knows maybe even nine man boxes at times you need to prove that you can say all right screw it i don't care how many guys you're going to throw in front of me we're still going to pound the rock and we're going to do so successfully so I'm I'm looking for them to just continue to establish the run, even if they face, you know, a little bit of extra numbers, because I think really when you look at the the personnel on this team and we talked about how we haven't really had consistent playmakers at the wide receiver position, but we have at tight end. Um, and so Tommy Reese wants to run these multiple tight end sets and a lot of the time out of that, they're going to be running the ball. And that's has to be this team's identity. Um, you just kind of have to lean into your strengths when you're playing teams that, you know, are inferior and that has to be your bread and butter and how you win these games. Um, I mean, and, and I guess on top of that, you could say clean up the mistakes, don't turn the ball over. That's kind of self-explanatory there um, because you don't want to dig yourself uh, another hole against a team who is better than Florida state. So don't shoot yourself in the foot, run the ball, get out of there with the win, hopefully cover the spread. Um, before I get you out of here, Andrew, let's go ahead and give our final score prediction. So I did mention Notre Dame is 16 and a half point favorites. Um, so how do you see everything shaking out? So I definitely, you know, should pick a, a higher um, uh, score, at least for the Irish, because I have thought in the first three games, um, I have been probably underselling this offense and, and touchdown Tommy. So, you know, I really, want to apologize to, to, to him um, for that. But um, I would say that uh, Notre Dame probably gets in the 42-point uh, range, um, probably to uh, 17 for Louisville. I think that we're going to see a much crisper performance um, than uh, we saw uh, last week against Florida State. So 42-17, Notre Dame coming out with a big victory. Should be nice and easy for everybody to go through on the afternoon. Um, you know, you can uh, rest easy, no stress, um, no reason to, uh, you know, get the uh, the AED machine out and, uh, uh, you know, have to re- uh, revive yourself. <laughs> yeah, I so I think for me, what like it's become like a, a, a principle of mine when I guess more often than not when I'm trying to predict these scores that when Notre Dame is favored by double digits, I'm taking the other team and the points because I just do not trust them to cover these large spreads. But I do think they're going to win this game comfortably. And like last weekend, I don't think it's going to be a game where you're really ever sweating it out. Um, I think it'll end up somewhere around 38-24 Notre Dame, but with the caveat of Louisville having a couple scores late, kind of like they did against Miami where Miami was just had a very comfortable lead, but that Louisville offense just, you know, they're just go, go, go. And so they scored, I think twice um, in the fourth quarter to make that score a little bit more respectable, even though Miami was never really in doubt. I think that's kind of how this is going to shake up um, one or two late scores from, from the Cardinals to, to make this a little bit more respectable and cover the spread. Um, so I think that'll do it. Uh, Andrew, thanks again for taking the time to to join the podcast. Hopefully we can have you on yeah, as a guest again Thank in the you. future. Thank you.
Thanks again to Andrew Hall for joining the podcast today. If you want to check out his work for Slop Design, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Andrew Douglas H. If you've enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Until next time, go Irish.